0: Welcome to the Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agderap. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. This month, we hear from Roberta Bondi, who is a writer, speaker, teacher, and retreat leader. She is Professor Emerita of Church History at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. Roberta earned a bachelor's degree from Southern Methodist University and completed two years of study at Perkins School of Theology. She holds Master of Arts and Doctor of Philosophy degrees from Oxford University. A weaver and spinner who was interested in women's work with fiber through the ages, Roberta is the author of nine books and a longtime faculty member of the Academy for Spiritual Formation. Roberta's lifetime of studying the desert mothers and fathers of the early church lends itself to the wisdom you're about to hear that the whole of the Christian spiritual life is about growing in the knowledge of God's love, and that we can't love others. If we don't first know, God loves us. In one of my favorite spiritual books, To Pray and to Love, Roberta says, prayer is a way of life that begins and ends in love. So we may not know how to pray, but do we know how to love? Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently and please entertain the possibility that a very gentle God loves you dearly.
1: The name of this poem is Kudzu. Everybody knows Kudzu, okay. Right before the railroad track on our road into town, there is a stop sign. Bright red of a color not natural, a few holes from shotgun shells, scratched paint, it speaks a demoralized no to the travelers who pass. But around that sign, the kudzu is growing green with happiness, viney with laughter that will soon eat up the sorry sound sign. sign. And so I say, as Julian says, God is our clothing. He wraps himself around us for clothing. He is enclosed in us, and we in him. And so I say, as Kudzu unstoppably enwraps the stop sign, so are we all enfolded in God's love, even if our hearts deny it. So my topic is prayer and discernment. And I have to say that I haven't been teaching this, uh, I haven't taught this for a a bit, but one of the things I have found uh, in retirement, which is something I should have suspected, but I kind of knew all along anyway, is that my prayer has really changed over the last years. Uh, And so it impacts what what I want to say. And it hasn't impacted it in such a way to make it easier to talk about it. It's gone the other direction. It makes it harder to talk about it. So I am going to do my best for you all. And uh, you all will have to just do your best for me uh, in return. Uh, But I'm going to be talking a lot about what prayer is. and And what's called for from us, and how we might get there in terms of our lives, rather than, okay, here's the rules, do it this way. You know, that you can, if that's what you need, you can, you know, you can find something online or something. You might even find something on Facebook, you know, (laughs) I I, I don't know. Uh, But let me start by saying one thing, which I don't have in my notes. As soon as I stand up, I realize what I ought to have in my notes, that I don't. And, and that is that you will hear me using a lot of anthropomorphic language about, about God. And that is not because I think God is a big human being, but because we have to find some way to talk about God in terms of our own experience. Now, we, we all know that God is way beyond human experience, way beyond our imaginings. You know, there's, there's no limit to, to God. And so in that sense, anthropomorphic language isn't appropriate. On the other hand, this is why we have the incarnation. We say that if we have, if God could enter into human life as a human being, then it is not inappropriate to use human language to talk about God. Unless we think that means we can just sort of stuff God into a single human being and the rest is nothing, you know. Is that, is that clear? This is really important because you will hear a lot of anthropomorphic language from me. But it's not because I don't know any better. That's in, that's in quotation marks, you understand, when I say I don't know any better. Okay. Let's start then with some of my musings on prayer for today. Um, I, my second thing I want to, to say after this business about God being both imminent, you know, anthropomorphizing God, uh, and not imminent at the same time. Okay, now past that point, here now we're gonna start. What is prayer? What do we mean when we start talking about prayer? Okay, Uh, this is where it starts for me, it starts confusing itself, but it's, it's okay, it's all right. What is prayer? There is a bond between God and the whole of creation. There is a bond between God and the whole of creation, because creation is an expression of who God is, the whole of creation. And the bond between creation and God, and we are part of the created bits, uh, is love. Love is the bond between creation and God. Now, I am convinced that all things pray I don't believe there's anything that God has made that that doesn't pray, because there isn't anything that isn't joined to God by the bond of love. Does that make sense? I wish this fly didn't feel so loving toward me. Uh, I'd like it to be a little less imminent. all things pray um if i ever try to talk to my my dog about prayer he always says what do we have to talk about this for everybody knows you know uh, all dogs pray we know, we don't need to have any discussion about this and i say oh yeah curly i know i'm talking to the wrong person uh, and so i find somebody else to talk to so we human beings all living things but i that includes trees and plants. Go away, fly. Go away. I, I have to say, flies too. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't have to like it. Um, we are made to pray. It's our basic. It's our basic way of being. It's our basic way of being. Whether we think that's what we're doing, whether we are verbally acknowledging God, it's what we do. I, I think if we didn't pray in that sense, well, first of all, I don't think it's possible, but if it were possible, I think we'd just wink out of existence. You know, I think it's the bond between us and God. We are made to pray. Now, I don't need to tell you, but I'll tell you anyway, that there are many different ways to pray. There's words, of course. There, is, there are uh, from the heart words. Hmm. And there are liturgical words, which also can be from the heart. Uh, prayer. There's uh, silent prayer. There's centering prayer. There's prayer while we're walking. Singing prayer. Uh, play, barking prayer, uh, you, you know, there's not one way to pray. I still get caught in the trap of someone saying something like, well if you don't do centering prayer you're just not praying, or if you don't pray this way, you're, that's just not prayer or whatever. You know, I still get caught in the trap of, thinking, oh maybe I should be doing that. But the fact is, is that what works, what is right for one person is not right for another. And anyway, you're already praying, right? You wake up in the morning, you're breathing, you're praying. Mm -hmm. You go to sleep at night and you dream or you don't dream and you're praying. So what you do otherwise is one more thing you're already doing as part of your prayer. There is no right way to pray. Now, I think there are wrong ways to pray. But when I say wrong ways, I don't mean that you're doing the mechanical parts wrong. But if you are praying, please, God, uh, don't just smite my enemies, but here's a list of them. And, uh, and get back to me once you've done this. You know, this is, I don't, I don't believe this is what we're called to do at all. You know, that's, I would call that a wrong way to, to pray. Uh, and there are other ways, too, but I won't say what they are now. Uh, but one, one of them is, um, is praying in silence. And I have thought a lot about this in terms of uh, people with Alzheimer's, uh, people who are mentally ill or who are mentally handicapped one way or another, uh, Do they not pray, you know? And the answer is, of course they pray, you know. First of all, they share in all creation's prayer, because really all of our prayer is one, isn't it? The whole creation's prayer is one. So we all share in that prayer. Uh, But also, there are other ways in silence to pray. Uh, You don't... Well, I don't, Just you just think about this yourself. Think about this yourself. You get hung up if you think, well, you've got to use words, you've got to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have to believe this, and you have to believe that, or you're not really praying. Just forget all that, you know. This is not what, this is just not what God is asking for in this relationship in which, we are so bound up with God in our whole life. So, okay, here's another thing that I believe, and that is, and it's it's connected to the other, and that is that reality itself is an expression of who God is. Reality itself is an expression of who God is. You know, not just individual trees and rocks and plants, and dogs, and people, and cats, and so forth. But the whole of reality is one. The whole of reality is, is one that we're a part of, Okay. So this means because if we are part of reality, integral to reality, and all of reality is an expression of God, then we are called on to love reality. Now this sounds, yeah, big deal, big deal, but this was an important thing for me because for years and years in in my prayer, I had a hard enough time growing up and a hard enough time in other parts in my life that my prayer was a, I I don't wanna call it an escape, it was an escape, it was real, but it was the safe place I could go you know, that was a safe place I could go every day. Um, to escape the things that were causing me the, the pain that, that I was suffering from my childhood and from other things, as I said. Um, but one day, I, I realized, I st- well, I didn't realize it one day. The, gra- the realization came on over a long period of time that if I love God, I am called upon to love the whole of reality. I can't be in a position where I'm cynical about reality because it's God's reality and it's my reality, you know, and, and we are one. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, this was a kind of turning point in my life. I have to say that this, this came to me in my 70s. I'm a pretty slow learner. But it, it came to me in my 70s that I, don't, I can't afford to feel cynical. You know, because what I'm doing is rejecting creation, which is an expression of God. Okay, now that's a really important one. The, that reality itself reflects who God, God is, is a really important thing for me. That it took me a long time to learn and you may say well that just sounds crazy to me and that's fine you know but i'm telling you what i think okay now i want to tell you a little bit about my own um, experience of prayer and how i got into it i was born uh, uh, into a a household of the with a southern baptist mother and a cynical atheistic father uh, who my mother was from Kentucky, my father was from Manhattan. Uh, Now this, the way they managed religion, for the most part, was that my father would rant about it a lot, but my mother did not believe that women should argue with their husbands as part of her fundamental Baptist understanding of reality. And so she kept her mouth shut while he uh, ranted about religion. Um, what she did do about the religious education of me and my brothers, is she took us to Western Kentucky during revival season uh, every summer. So we went to revivals uh, at Pond Fork Baptist Church, which was uh, a little uh, a white frame church uh, across from the big ditch, in case anybody asks you where it was. and. Uh, There was always the same sermon, because anybody here have experience of Southern revivals uh, in the olden times? You know, I'm not talking about the cleaned up versions of them, I'm talking about the old, yeah. Well, the the whole thing about a revival then, the whole point of it, was to scare the shit out of (laughs) you. You know? So you would repent. And, and accept Jesus as your personal behavior, uh, Savior, you, you, you know this. Okay, so my basic religious education as a child was revivals. You can imagine the effect that had on me. Though I did go to vacation Bible school uh, at the same time, and that was wonderful. Um, I, I just love flannel boards. <laughs> you know. uh, Anyway, that was was the whole point. And uh, you would be told over and over, in one form or another, only believe God loves you or he'll send you to hell forever. Uh, um, This message was still being taught in Atlanta, not maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. There was a billboard on Highway uh, 85. It was a giant billboard, one of those great, great, great big ones. And the background was a nice navy blue and had a cross in the middle. And then at the very top, there were words that said uh, only believe God loves you. And then essentially what it said at the bottom was turn or burn. Yeah. Okay, now let me point out that nobody in their right mind would immediately start loving God as a result <laughs> of that. Um, but. Anyway, this, so what I'm saying is, is that this way of looking at things is not gone from the world, and it's not good for people. So as a child, my father was uh, very um, judgmental, very perfectionistic, uh, and I thought of him as a judge, and I rightly thought of him as a judge, and I was scared to death of him. Uh, Well, when I'd go to revival and hear about my heavenly father, I would assume that he was like my earthly father, only bigger. You know, um, and even more scary. So, So I saw, as a child, I saw God as judge and punisher. And love, insofar as God was loving, was expressed in this kind of, punishing, judging sort of way. So I was angry at God, angry at the universe, angry at the whole entire male species, even male cockroaches. Uh, And of course everything in the language I heard was male when it talked about God. So this was not a good place to be. but, I got through my first degree at Oxford, I had, to, I, had to, um, I, I had to pick a dissertation topic. Well, my first degree at Oxford had been in Semitic languages. Uh, I started in Hebrew, which I absolutely adored. Um, but, I also did uh, Syriac, which is a, a language closely related to Hebrew. It's actually Aramaic written in a different script. So I I had done Syriac and Aramaic as well. Uh, And what I knew was that the Bodleian Library, which was the great library of Oxford, was full of early Syriac manuscripts that hadn't even been cataloged. So I got talked for doing my dissertation into finding something in Syriac to do. So I said, OK, I'll do that. I'll do something in Syriac. I liked the idea of spending my life reading primary sources and not reading secondary sources. Uh, so I started in looking for a dissertation topic. Uh, and all of a sudden, it struck me. This took me about 20 minutes for it to strike me, that all the texts that I had from the, the period I was looking at were, in fact, from the early church. They were all Christian. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? You know, And I visualized my life as a, as a long, long, long series of reading texts that were telling me how God was judging me, and he was only hurting me because he loved me, and that sort of thing. Uh, I thought, I, I just can't read these Christian texts but of course i did because i'd already committed myself so i had a hard time in the bodleian library for several weeks Uh, it was uh, late late fall and uh, it was in the 60s i loved the 60s i loved the beatles but it the but it uh but the the 60s had not yet hit the Bodleian library and uh, the strongest light bulb in the place, I'm sure, was about two, 20 watts. It might have gone up to 30 watts. It was not above that. And it was just dark, dark, dark. And the, the, at that time, the British had a very strong idea about when you should turn the heat on in a building. <laughs> and it was not related to the temperature, it was related to the date on the calendar. So uh, the heat had not yet been turned on. So I was sitting there reading uh, Syriac stuff with uh, fur-lined gloves and uh, still freezing to death. And uh, and it rained every day. It must have rained for three months without a break. I'm sure it did, three months without a break. So uh, I finally, I just, Every day I got more and more depressed. I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. So that went on for, I don't know how long that was. It could have been two weeks. It could have been six weeks. I don't know. It felt like a long time anyway. Uh, But I just felt like I I was going to die, you know? So one day. I um, I came into the library, and I got my stack of books and put them on the desk in front of me. And, uh, I, and, and I was just despairing at that point. I thought, this is it. I, it. I can't get lower than this. And I picked the book up, and I opened it in the middle. Now, the book it was was a book called 13 um, Ascetical Homilies. Doesn't it just, mmm, you know. ooh, ooh, yummy, you know. Thirteen ascetical homilies by Philoxenus of Mabuk, whom i never heard of in my life. Turned out he was a uh, late fifth century uh, Monophysite Syriac theologian. Uh, you may be saying, "But I don't remember learning about that ever. Believe me, you didn't learn about it, <laughs> you know. It didn't hurt you. Any, anyway, anyway, so I picked this book up and I opened it in the middle, you know, expecting, you know, what am I going to find in a 13 ascetical homilies? <clears throat> well, I opened to a, uh I opened to a homily that was directed at monks. All these 13 homilies were directed at monks, but this one was talking about why monks should not be judgmental with each other. Believe me, when people are living on top of each other, they are judgmental, you know, because you get irritable, right? Okay, (coughs) so these homilies were talking about why monks should not get judgmental. And the fundamental reason that Philoxenus said was because monks are called to be like God who loves us unconditionally and who always gives us a break. You know God who always looks at us and says well I understand the circumstances that person was living in I'm sorry that you know that 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 happened but God always looks at us with compassion and gentleness, uh, and this is what we are called to do. Now, we aren't monks, but we're still called to do this. right? Well, when I saw this, I read this, it's said, big, this doesn't seem like such a big deal. Well, I burst into tear, tears there in the library because I hadn't ever, if I had heard anything like that, it had never sunk in before. The idea that, that God would look at us with more kindness than we look at ourselves, our, that our more kindness than the parents we have look at us, that God makes allowances for us. You know, it was just, it was overwhelming. So I got off and went outside, and got rained on a while, uh, and I thought I gotta, I gotta calm down before I can go back to work. And then uh, after a while, I went back in. I thought, okay, I'm calm now. Uh, Looked at the pages, and it still said that. So I burst into tears again. So this happened one more time, and then I decided, I think maybe what I need to do is go home. So I went home, but I also committed to do my dissertation on Philoxynus of Mabuk, whoever he was. and whoever these monks were he was talking to and about because I didn't know anything about them. I never heard of them in my life, you know. So I had to go home and find out who they were.
0: Listen to Roberta Bondi's experiences on encountering a loving God for hours. Maybe it's the Southern accent, maybe it's her lived experience, or maybe it's the fact that I stood in front of her many years ago, a heartbroken, nervous new preacher in her first appointment, and confessed, I don't know how to pray. And as she just said, what is right for one person is not for another. Are you breathing you're praying are you dreaming are you not dreaming you're praying roberta has a way of helping us start as the best teachers often do exactly where we are her instruction doesn't make us feel like we're at a deficit and need to catch up she doesn't should all over us she starts with the assumption that we are already praying What an immense help that was to me as a 24-year-old pastor who prayed for others and often felt like a fraud. What an immense help it was for me to hear, there's no right way to pray. That to simply want to pray is prayer. Mm. It continues to feed my soul to this day. Friends, please share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held. And may you know that you need not be an expert in prayer. You only need to have the desire and the God who is all love has already joined you. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Roberta, join us at the next online or in-person Academy Retreat. For more information, please visit academy.upperroom.org.